Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Today, I talk with Brownsville Mayor Trey Mendez. He makes a compelling case that his community is the future. From space travel to multinational cooperation to great food bringing us together. Mayor Mendez, working with the New Deal, has become a national leader in showing us how to make broadband more accessible and equitable. Local leaders and the White House are looking to emulate his efforts. This was an incredibly inspiring conversation. Enjoy. Mayor Trin Mendez, welcome to An Honorable Profession. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. Thank you, Ryan. It's, a, it's an honor for me and, and just uh, exciting for me to be part of this podcast. And, and I just want to say hello to all my fellow new dealers out there and anybody else that may be listening. Thank you. And uh, we all had a little taste uh, of a conversation with you as I moderated a panel that you were on about extending broadband access, which I really want to dive into in this conversation. First, let's talk a little bit about you. Can you talk a little bit about your path into public service? What drew you to, to run for office? And uh, have you been the kind of kid who, who always wanted to be mayor or is this a newfound uh, passion? Definitely not the kid that, that always wanted to be mayor, I can tell you that. Uh, I, um, before I had the, um, the honor of serving as mayor, which has been about two and a half years now, almost three, I uh, served nine years on the Board of Trustees at Texas Southmost College here in Brownsville. It's uh, where I was born and raised and, and uh, where I felt would be the best place for me to give back. I um, first was elected to Texas Southmost College at the age of 30 and um, decided that I wanted to uh, run for mayor at some point there uh, towards the end of my uh, my time at Texas Southmost College and uh, was elected mayor in 2019 at the ripe old age of 39 years old. And, and um, at the time, I just felt that our city needed a new direction, needed some leadership that had some more vision, maybe uh, some more thoughts on how we could grow and, and a different perspective, really, a younger perspective and, and maybe a perspective of somebody who who'd been to other places and, and really understood what Brownsville had to offer. So uh, definitely never thought I'd be mayor, but here I am uh, three years later. What an eventful time to choose to be mayor uh, as we head into a uh, global pandemic and the subsequent challenges uh, that lie therein. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be mayor of your of your hometown? I, I, I was mayor of my hometown. Being mayor is an intensely intimate job even when you're when you when you didn't grow up in your community, but when you did, uh, and you're now mayor for your elementary school teachers and your former classmates, it's a whole different experience. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like and how that perspective helps inform you and in your governance? Sure, and and I think there's just something special about where you're born and raised, and and being mayor of your hometown, it, it's just special. 
border cities like Brownsville are very unique. It's a different culture. It's a different mindset. Great communities, very welcoming community. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't think a week goes by that I don't hear from a former teacher, a former classmate, somebody I grew up with. And it's, it's good uh, because it, it feels like home because it is home, right? So uh, lots, lots uh, of people uh, were behind me when I ran, and, and I'm just making sure that, that I'm able to give back. And, and to do it in my hometown is just, it's just so great. And uh, it's something I don't forget. And believe me, every day that, that I'm here as mayor, I really focus on our city, growing our city, and making sure that I left it, that I leave it in a better place than, than I found it. Yeah, it's uh, it's also something. Yeah, you will not forget it, but uh, you the people you grew up with will never let you uh, forget it either. So that's always it's always good to have that <laughs> those those voices around you to constantly remind you. I, I think in more than a hundred episodes of this podcast, I don't know that we've ever talked to anyone uh, who is who represented a border community. Can you talk a little bit about what that's like, and also what you think the the misconceptions are around the country about about you, your reality versus what you experience on a day to day basis? Border communities uh, are are something that it seems like the only people that can really understand a border community are those that actually live in a border community or those that were, that were born or raised and have lived in a border community. It's extra special. Uh, you usually have two cultures for us. Uh, we are neighbors with Mexico. They're our, our Southern uh, neighbor and, and literally probably about less than a mile from my office is our bridge. So just on the other side, it's a totally different country. Uh, in some ways, a different culture, definitely a different language. But uh, there's a lot of things that unite border communities. You have the culture. Uh, oftentimes, you do have the language. I think in Brownsville, uh, you can get away with speaking Spanish uh, more than you can get away with only speaking English. But our people are our, our greatest asset, just extremely welcoming. And there is a lot of rhetoric out there, a lot of rhetoric in Washington from different people telling us uh, what it's like to be on the border or, or telling us what's happening on the border. But unfortunately, none of those uh, or the vast majority of those uh, folks have never lived here, never even been here. Our own governor of Texas has never come down to, to my city to meet with me or discuss any border issues. Uh, he goes to other cities uh, nearby. But really, it's it's a special place. Growing up here, uh, it, it's um, something that unites all of us, our culture. And, and whether you're in Brownsville, Laredo, um, Eagle Pass, uh, El Paso, or even all the way to San Diego, border communities are are um, very similar and in some ways different when it comes to economies and, and possibly politics. But uh, down here in Brownsville, we depend a lot on Mexico, and, and some of us have family and friends that may be living in Mexico, or or um, maybe our some of our family members may have come from Mexico. Uh, but definitely a special place. Is there anything? And I imagine the list is long that in national or state policy would be able to better leverage the strengths of these border communities, which, you know, in a globalized world can often be the sort of forerunners uh, for for newly integrated um, economic policy or environmental policy. What if you could wave a magic wand, what kind of policies would you like to see at the state or federal level? Well, first and foremost, I think we we need uh, desperately a comprehensive uh, immigration reform, and that's been something that's decades in waiting. We haven't been able to solve it, and uh, 
doesn't look like we're going to be able to solve it anytime soon. I'm, I'm very hopeful, though. I think uh, the, the new administration has been focusing on ways to improve the process, but certainly comprehensive uh, immigration reform would be at the top of the list. I think uh, taking advantage of some of the economic uh, advantages that we have from uh, Mexico, even Canada, is something that, that's beneficial for border communities. Uh, as far as technology and innovation, there are some places in Mexico that are, that are even more advanced than, than places uh, in the U.S. or in Texas. Uh, we have a very thriving uh, industry in um, Matamoros, which is right next to Brownsville. They're really innovative when it comes to the automotive industry, the electronics industry. They've got some wind and solar power technologies that are happening over there, even aerospace not too far away. So a lot of really, really great technologies that are happening on the other side of the border that I wish we could integrate into our community and into our economy, and, and I'm working on some ways to do that. Uh, we have a very uh, robust uh, and growing aerospace economy here in Brownsville, which I'm hoping to uh, grow through some of our partners uh, south of the border and, and maybe uh, lean on them for some workforce initiatives. But uh, overall, there is some synergy and, and I think some some um, opportunities to further policy, whether it's economic uh, or otherwise. You know, I mean, that's I think this is newsworthy, right? This is a story you just don't hear talked about, which is you're saying let's let's leverage technology from south of the border to help do economic development here in the United States, and and all the debates about our policies, their neighbors, you you don't hear that narrative, but but I when I've in reading about your work, it's something you're intensely focused on. Absolutely, and and especially because of what's happening in Brownsville, we're we're seeing aerospace as a way to lift our community up economically. We are one of the poorest communities in the United States. Uh, we're also one of the least connected communities in the United States, and and my goal as mayor is to cross our name off of both of those lists, and and we're working hard to do that. But I see some opportunities to to uh, really gain an advantage in aerospace and in the aerospace industry through some of the technologies, some of the workforce innovations that are happening in Matamoros. And uh, that's either um, through manufacturing or through uh, some type of component um, technologies. We see some opportunities out there. There's actually some stuff that's happening, not necessarily uh, in Matamoros, but but other cities in uh, Mexico, where they're doing some really cool stuff with with aerospace. And we want to leverage some of that technology and, and some of that workforce and and some of those uh, strategies and use them here in Brownsville because as quickly as we're growing, the reality is we're going to possibly not have enough people in our workforce to keep up, and, and we got to make sure that, that we can fill those needs. So looking at leveraging some of those uh, resources from, uh, from Mexico and, and helping our community and our economy. And you also mentioned a key component of this is expanding broadband access, and this is something that you've really been a national leader on and worked closely with the New Deal to develop policies and best practices uh, that other communities could emulate. Can you talk a little bit about your challenge and then what you see as uh, some of the solutions that, that you're developing there in Brownsville? Sure. And uh, when I was elected, right a couple years ago, well, three years almost now, in 2019, uh, Brownsville, Texas, was named one of the top uh, cities when it came to uh, connectivity. And when I'm saying top, I'm not saying in a good way. We were considered uh, one of the least connected communities in the United States, along with a couple of other urban urban cities, and uh, definitely not something to be proud of. And uh, when you're talking about connectivity, 
Uh, you're talking about access to Internet, uh, access to resources, and it, it's really an economic development tool the way we see it. So when I saw and, and when I first uh, heard that we were on that list, my thoughts were, we got to get off this list, and, and why aren't we off this list already? So late 2019, just a couple months after we came into office, I put together a, a group of seven stakeholder entities here in Brownsville, and uh, we all contributed some money to put together a plan, brought in some, some people that had done it before in other places, um, some really uh, great consultants that uh, coincidentally one of them was from Brownsville, and so he really took it as a personal challenge to try and, and help us out. And within a few months, we had a uh, comprehensive uh, strategy for broadband and how to implement it here in Brownsville. And that came at the perfect time because, like I said, we started in late 2019, and uh, we all know what happened in, in early uh, 2020, uh, March specifically here in Brownsville. We started our uh, our COVID time, unfortunately. I, I believe I declared the disaster here March 17th of 2020, but thankfully we already had that uh, process going, and, and it was pretty well ahead of other communities. So we've continued with that, got our plan together. Uh, because we had these, these stakeholder entities, that just put us so much further ahead because there was buy-in from, from the community and, and all the necessary stakeholders. So we all moved forward. We saw the value of being connected during the pandemic, and uh, especially in education, in, in hospitals, and other uh, industries. So uh, we've just continued to, to move forward and move as quickly as we can. And, and thankfully, because of, of that foresight, uh, we're well ahead of other communities. Uh, and thankfully, our presidential administration also prioritize broadband, and prioritize funding for communities like ours. So we will be uh, funding our broadband uh, middle mile. It's going to be about $19.5 to $20 million. We've already allocated the funding. Uh, we use some ARPA funds for that. And uh, well on our way, we've already started the procurement process, actually going to be selecting a vendor here in the next few weeks and uh, breaking ground pretty soon thereafter and hopefully uh, have our middle mile done by the end of next year, and then we're also starting the process to, um, for our last mile, getting a uh, partner in industry to, to help us with the last mile so we can make sure we have fiber to all the homes here in Brownsville. What advice do you have to people, and you see this in both urban and rural communities uh, who are struggling with broadband access, what advice do you have for them to, to, to speed up their process and get connectivity to their communities? Well, I think they need to really, first of all, just, just realize and, and figure out where the connectivity exists. Uh, there's a lot of maps out there, but not all of them are accurate, so I would suggest them partnering with somebody in the industry, a neutral, not somebody that, that is necessarily a, uh, an Internet service provider, because I think that they may have some of their own uh, reasons for, for being a part of it. But partner with somebody that is neutral, partner with somebody that's going to get you the actual data and the maps and uh, tell you where people are connected and tell you where, where you could use some help. And just because there's um, access to service doesn't mean that it's the type of service you need in your community. What we learned that our, throughout our process here in Brownsville is that the Internet service providers were telling us that we were almost 100% uh, connected or we had access to Internet in almost 100% of our community. And uh, that's a little bit of a... Of, um, I guess you could say it's not totally true because even though um, some people may have the ability 
to connect. The type of connection is not the speed that we need, and it also wasn't affordable uh, or accessible to most of our community. I believe almost 70% of our community didn't lack the access to the Internet. So look at once you have a map and once you know where the uh, fiber may exist, and, and be sure that it's fiber because um, not everywhere has fiber. A big part of Brownsville did not have fiber, so uh, look at what type of connection it is, what kind of, of uh, service exists. Look at download speeds for sure, but more importantly, uh, look at upload speeds because what we learned during the pandemic is not only do you need to, to be able to have some, some good download speeds, but when you have multiple members of your household that are connected, you're going to need that upload speed as well. And a lot of the uh, existing providers that we had in our community uh, had very, very slow upload speeds, so that was a hindrance for students being able to do some work and, and other people in the household maybe that needed to be on the Internet at the same time, whether that was a Zoom conference or, or uh, maybe even telehealth, whatever the reason may be. Uh, you need the upload speeds just as much as you need the download speeds. Make sure you know uh, which people in your community aren't connected. Look for grants and look for any sort of assistance that may exist at the federal level first. That makes sense. It, it strikes me as I've listened to you and talk with you and as well as read about some of your efforts, you really emphasize that you need to take a strategic and long-term approach to governance. And I think that is becoming increasingly hard in the world we live in, and especially in a world of COVID where there are really critical and immediate needs. How do you balance the, the need for long-term thinking and planning with the constant demands on a mayor and a community uh, for uh, immediate relief or addressing immediate issues? I'll tell you what, Ryan, it's tough, and, and it's been extremely difficult um, my uh, position as mayor has turned into really a full-time job, and uh, it's one that, that comes with, uh, with a hefty salary of zero dollars. <laughs> so I don't get paid for this. It's, it's totally volunteer, and once uh, COVID started in March of 2020, I've been pretty much full-time almost for the, for the last two years, and, and I'm also a practicing attorney, so it's, it has hurt my practice, quite honestly, and, and I do have a restaurant, which, is, which has been, uh, thankfully, pretty successful, so... Lots of uh, lots of things to do in very little time, but but I think uh, for that reason it's important to use your time efficiently and, and use it wisely. So uh, my strategy has always been to come up with a plan and execute. More importantly, because um, lots of people have ideas, but the real value is in executing those ideas. So I'm I'm fortunate that in the city of Brownsville we have a good administrative team, we have a good commission. They've allowed us to to really move forward quickly. Uh, you know, just because I have a vision doesn't mean it, it'll happen unless we have the right team. But, but thankfully we do, and, and my vision's really starting to come to fruition as far as making us uh, not only a destination city, but an innovative city and a smart city. And, and the key to that is planning and strategy. And uh, when we were elected, there was no uh, strategic plan that existed in our city, no real master plan, no uh, plan for growth or uh, anything to, to combat urban sprawl, and, and uh, we've done all that despite COVID, and, and it's been a great ride, and, and I think because it's happening during COVID, uh, it just means that much more, and is that much more valuable. So planning and strategy is great, but you have to have a team to execute it. And how do you think, I mean, I, I saw that on your website about uh, 
practicing law and insurance law, which is really requires a lot of hands-on work. And then a restaurant, which also requires uh, hands-on work. And obviously mayors are very hands-on. How do you think about the allocation of your time and energy when you have all these demands uh, on you on a, on a, <laughs> on a seven day a week, 24 hour day basis? It's uh, 24-7, uh, 365, I'll tell you, but um, it, I, I don't think that I always know what I'm going to be doing when I wake up in the mornings. I think it's uh, day-to-day. I do keep a calendar and a very comprehensive one, but as you know, uh, mayoral demands sometimes change, and, and uh, you may wake up not even realizing what you're going to be facing that day because things just change so quickly. And, um, you know, I really do prioritize my role as mayor. The other two things, obviously the restaurant and, and my law office come after that. I'd say the law office uh, comes after and then the restaurant, but I'm lucky to have a, a great uh, business partner at the restaurant and I'm a solo practitioner here at the law office. So that has has been difficult. As a litigator, it's been difficult to, to stay on top of things at the office, but I just make the time and because that's what I got to do. And how do you think about those competing demands when you think about, you know, running for reelection and continuing to serve, it it feels unsustainable when I hear your uh, description, but you're doing such amazing work for your community that, that could have a long-term impact. And I think uh, that's really what keeps me going on a daily basis is knowing the impact and knowing who we're serving. Having grown up here, like I said, being from this community and the challenges that our community faces, not only uh, socioeconomically, but um, from a connectivity uh, standpoint as well. We have um, some health health issues down here as well. About 70% of our community suffers from a chronic illness. So it's about knowing who you represent and prioritizing your community and knowing that you have the skill set to really lift it up and, and make the positive changes and make a difference in your community. That's what keeps me going on a daily basis. And the best part about being mayor is the service, seeing the results and, and seeing the real positive changes that can happen. And believe it or not, even just hearing from our constituents and, and seeing them get excited and energized about what's happening in our community and, and hearing a thank you from them every now and then is, is what keeps me going. So do you have any advice for a listener who may be, may be practicing law, may not be fully uh, fulfilled by it or own a restaurant and want to make broader changes in the community about how to engage with public service and how to find that balance and make the most of those opportunities? Well, I think public service is very rewarding. It gives you what, what uh, you're willing to put in. And uh, if you put in the work, you'll see the results. And, and it's very satisfying for, for any attorney that's out there. I think um, you know, they automatically have a good set of tools to help their community uh, having a background in the law and um, really wanting to serve, I think, is is uh, good quality in, in most attorneys. And uh, restaurant owners, just uh, it's fun. It's it's actually fun owning a restaurant. It's uh, been one of the things I think that really helps keep me kind of uh, relaxed. And and it's for me, it's it's a bit of an escape. So it, whenever I'm I'm helping manage uh, the restaurant, it, it's something I see as as kind of a uh, a way to take a, a step back and, and take a deep breath and, and recharge the batteries a little bit. I get to interact with members of the community, which is always good. And, and uh, certainly uh, my time is, is very scarce, but uh, I make the most of it and I try and be as efficient as I can with my time. 
Yeah, I imagine it's, it's got to be nice because so many things we work on in government are have so much process and time involved that just getting a meal in front of someone, <laughs> hot meal, having them eat it, like there's a beginning, a middle, and an end uh, that's that's quick. That is just it's it's got to be so different than than the challenges you face day to day. Oh yeah, um, being able to to break bread with the community is always a good thing, and and uh, I try not to really take my uh, my mayoral role into into the restaurant. Uh, sometimes it's inevitable, but uh, just seeing people happy, seeing uh, people enjoy themselves is very satisfying. Same thing with public service. I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Seeing the changes you make, seeing the positives, and and just seeing uh, the benefits in, to the community, and and hearing the differences that you're making is very rewarding and, and something that I see as the best part of the job. So last question, I have 24 hours in Brownsville. What do you recommend? Okay. Well, that's a good question. It depends uh, <laughs> if there's anything in particular you want to do, but we've got so many great things going. Uh, Brownsville is the uh, largest city in the Rio Grande Valley, which is South Texas. We are the 16th largest uh, city in the state of Texas, and uh, we're the second most historic. Uh, we have all sorts of, of beautiful um, mid-1800 buildings in our downtown. We've uh, really focused on revitalizing our downtown, so uh, no trip to Brownsville is complete without coming downtown and, and seeing some of our history. Uh, maybe, if time allows, uh, take a trip to our Gladys Porter Zoo, which has been here for 50 years and is a preeminent zoo in South Texas. And uh, before you leave Brownsville, I'm going to have to get you some good food. Uh, make sure you've got some calories in you. But uh, we've got to go by the uh, SpaceX launch facility, which is uh, just uh, about 20 minutes from my office uh, down at Boca Chica. That's changing the world. The things that are out there uh, are just revolutionary. I think it epitomizes Brownsville. Uh, SpaceX has been a company that's been resilient, has been innovative, and that takes things into its own hands. And, and when there's no solution, they find one. And I think that's really uh, something that can be said about our city, too. And uh, it just being out there, you feel what the future is. You can see it. And uh, you can really just experience uh, the future of space travel down here. And, and it's amazing. And it's well worth the trip. I like it. I like it. I'm, uh, I, I'm ready to head south to, to see the future. Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the things that are happening down here are just amazing. There's probably a couple thousand employees. Uh, Elon Musk is here uh, the majority of the time, and uh, they really focus on Boca Chica and South Texas, and, and we're happy for it. And uh, it's uh, something that we've leveraged to, to help grow the airspace industry in Brownsville as well. That's fantastic. I'm ready to come. Well, we appreciate your service. We appreciate that you've been willing, as you expanded broadband and increased connectivity in your community you've also done it in a way that you've shared with other new deal leaders how to do it so that we can we can replicate maybe even steal your best ideas in our own communities and uh we're grateful for all that you do for your community but also for the new deal as a whole well i really i really value being a member it's been a great honor for me and and just um being able to share ideas with some of the other members and and be a part of this group uh, just such high caliber individuals has been fun for me, and I look forward to to more chats and and more uh, nerdy talk. And if anybody needs any any uh, information regarding broadband or anything else, uh, Neapolitan Pizza, space, uh, anything, just uh, just reach out. It's uh, my email is trey.mendez 
at brownsvilletx.gov. Reach out anytime if I can help, and, and I look forward to hearing from everybody. Hey, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, yeah, that's, that's quite an array of uh, subject matters that we can, uh, we can engage with you on. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.